Do you ever try to get a peek in the mirror when you're eating just to make sure you don't have something stuck between your front teeth or something? You ever do that? If I, if I tell you something, do you promise not to tell anyone else? Because it is, it is a little bit embarrassing, and I don't want the whole church to know. It's okay if you guys know, but don't, <laughs> don't tell anyone else. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to tell you that in my backpack for work, I carry this. You can all plainly see it's a man mirror. <laughs> it's a man mirror because it's black. It's not pink. And inside, there's no little powder puffy thing. And there never was. But this comes in real handy at work. If just before I step into a meeting, I can check real quick just to make sure there's nothing on my face that doesn't belong there, right? Well, the reason I'm talking about this and I do have a reason, is <laughs> because the passage of Scripture we're in, because it is, it is a unique place in Scripture that acts like a mirror. If we're willing to look into it and see ourselves in it, this passage in Scripture is going to challenge you and I to see if you and I have anything in our lives that doesn't belong there, not on our faces, but in our hearts. Because in this part of Scripture, we are challenged to look inside at our motives, our reason, our reason for being here right now in church, our reason for serving the Lord, however we do that, and actually our reasons, our motives for absolutely everything we do. What do you think God might want to tell you today from his word about your motives? What do you think God may say to you? Well, we'll find out, but first let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, what a happy day the day you took our sins away, the day that you made us, you promised us we'd never be the same because you are now living in us. And Father, with that faith, with that trust that you are in us and that your Holy Spirit is our teacher, we now open your word, asking you, as always, teach us, show us. Father, give us eyes to see our own reflection in your word, in your truth, and see if there might be anything in us that is unpleasing to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We're in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Uh, if you've been here the last few weeks when we've covered this, this will be a very quick review, but I have a map to show you just in case this will help you place where Thessalonica is. You see it up there in northern Greece. And Paul is writing this letter to the Christians up there in Thessalonica who were very special people because... When they heard the gospel of Christ, they did something extraordinary. They turned away from the idols that they had worshipped their whole lives. This is all they had ever known, their entire lives. And they turned away from those idols to worship and serve the true and living God. Their faith, their hope, their love for Christ and for each other impacted the entire region up there for hundreds of miles, Paul wrote. Last week, Pastor Mark took us through the beginning of chapter 2 where we saw how Paul would let nothing get in the way of preaching the gospel. Even, he said, that he came to preach with boldness even in the face of his words, much opposition. What did Paul mean by facing much opposition? He tells us in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-four 24 to 27. It'll be on the screen. Here's Paul's description 
Just a few things he lists for us for some of the opposition he faced in his ministry. He says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. My understanding, this is a, these aren't eyelashes, by the way. <laughs> this is with a whip. And my understanding is if they gave you 40 lashes, you were most likely going to die. So the law was beat you almost to death. So five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. If you remember that, he was, they threw rocks at him. They thought he was dead, so they dragged him outside the city to leave him there. But he was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, he writes. A night and the day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys. Oh, oh, good, he's a traveling guy. Well, let's read about his journeys. In dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Okay. How many of us would sign up for ministry work if this was part of the job description? Would you like to be Sunday school teacher? Would you like to be an usher? Would you like to be a greeter? Would you like to work on the tech team? Would you like to, to, to greet? Would you like to be uh, uh, safety and security? Well, here's what comes with it. You're going to get beaten. You're going to go sleepless. But Paul kept going, no matter what, because Paul was not interested in his personal comfort or his convenience or even his safety. All Paul cared about, all Paul cared about, was doing the, God, God, the job God called him to do to the best of his ability. That's why we saw last week that he wrote that he came to please God, not to please men. So this brings us to our passage today where Paul is going to explain in a little more detail his motives for coming to the Thessalonians. Let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 to 8. And I'm really enjoying this oversized Bible that I got, this extra large print, but this is absolutely the heaviest book I own. <laughs> I'm really glad I have something to rest it on because I can hold this for about four verses. So this is my limit. Verse 5. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Okay, I want to test your memory for some of you who are a wee bit older than some of the rest of you. Way back before Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and before Sesame Street, that leaves a lot of you out already, <laughs> there was a show on television called Romper Room. Remember that? It was for preschoolers. I used to watch it in Whittier on the uh, black and white TV we had. It came out of Nashville. And Romper Room had a segment that featured these two bumblebees. The do-bee taught boys and girls what to do that was right, and the don't-bee taught boys and girls what they should not do. And as you see, clearly see, if you're a do-bee, you speak clearly. If you're a don't-bee, you mumble. They had a little theme song. 
It went like this. Do be a doobie, don't be a don't be. <laughs> really deep lyrics, huh? <laughs> but you know what? I did not have to look that up. I remember it from a few years ago when I used to watch that show as a preschooler. And I grew up wanting to model myself after the doobie, and I absolutely was certainly did not want to be that grumpy, despicable don't be. If, I'm, the reason I'm sharing this is if, if Paul was writing this letter in romper room language, then the first half of our passage would be about the don't be, and the second half would be about the do be, because here's the outline for our, our passage. Paul writes in verse 5 and 6 what he did not do, the don't be, and then what he did do, verse 7 and 8. Let's start together with the don't be, verses 5 and 6. He wrote, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. The word pretext means a false reason. Paul is saying they did not come under the cover of the gospel as a means of making money. He says, God is our witness. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. When Paul mentions we, In verse 5, he's referring to himself and his co-workers in Christ, which is Silvanus or Silas and Timothy. And he writes, we never came with flattering speech, nor with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek glory from anyone. This would have been so great if we had a voice recording of Paul, because the emphasis of his language here is strong. Paul's voice would be louder here. If he was talking before at the first part, he'd be louder, because he's saying in a loud and clear voice that he came to share the truth of the gospel with the Thessalonians and never once thought about what was in it for him. Think about that with me. Paul came to share the truth of the gospel and never once thought, what's in it for me? This is one of those mirror moments I mentioned at the beginning. Can you and I claim what Paul is claiming? Do we serve the Lord without ever thinking about what's in it for us? Do we serve the Lord without ever thinking, well, I'll do it, but what's in it for me? Are you and I willing to serve Jesus if we get criticized? Or if we don't get recognized for the work we do, are we still willing to serve in face of criticism or no recognition? Are we willing to serve the Lord if it costs us money or maybe costs us time or costs us friends? Or what if God wants us to do something out of our comfort zone? Are we still willing to serve? Paul didn't come looking for ways to build up his fan base, and he didn't come ways, looking for ways to make a, a dollar or a drachma, in this case, in Thessalonica. He didn't come looking for ways to make money. All Paul wanted to do was see people come to Christ. That was it. That was all. Paul was all in on that. So he writes, we never came with flattering speech, as you know. Paul's enemies were saying all kinds of untrue and unfair things and unkind things about Paul. But Paul's reminding his readers, don't listen to that. You were witnesses to my pure motives. Remember, remember last week Pastor Mark told us how often Satan likes to give us something to hear to distract us from what we know is true. Paul's not defending himself for his own sake. He's defending himself for the sake of the gospel because if his reputation comes off as dishonest, then people will not trust the gospel that he was preaching. Paul specifically says he didn't come with flattering speech. What does that mean? 
Let's see what flattery means. This is a dictionary definition. Flattery means excessive and insincere praise given especially to further one's own reasons. Flattering speech is fake. It sounds good, but it's phony. Flattery speech is used by people that only tell you what you want to hear because they want something from you. So they praise you to butter you up so they can manipulate you. For example, many years ago, I hired somebody because during the interview, during the interview process, uh, he just kept going on and on and on about how much he would love to come work for me. I remember him saying, oh, I'm here for David Briggs. If I could just work from you, if I could just learn from you, that would be the best thing. I was flattered, so I hired him. How do you, how do you think that turned out? Biggest mistake of my young professional life. He was a master manipulator, and I fell for it. And he was a disaster for my company. My wife was here at first service, and just me mentioning that story, her face, she remembers. Paul never used sugar-coated words to try to manipulate people. He just relied on the truth of God's word and allowed the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts. There's a huge difference between flattering speech and encouraging speech. Flattering speech is meant to butter somebody up. It's meant to manipulate somebody. Encouraging speech is when we share our true and honest feelings meant to encourage somebody, uplift them, and give them their support. We saw in chapter 1 that Paul encouraged the Thessalonians in their faith, hope, and love. He praised the Thessalonians for their joy in the midst of tribulation and for their living for Christ throughout the region. It's good, it's good, and it's right in the eyes of God for you and I to love each other so much that we use our words to encourage each other. That's good. We just never, ever want to use our words to try to manipulate anyone for any reason. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Let's read this. Um, This comes in the middle of Jesus' sermon on the mount. This is another one of those places in Scripture where now the Lord Jesus holds up a mirror, and if we're brave enough to look into it, he might reveal something about our motives. Because Jesus is talking about motives. Maybe there's something here that we need to see, not on the outside, but on the inside. Let's read together. Chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 1 to 6. Jesus says, beware. When the Lord says beware, you think we should listen to what comes next? Probably pretty, pretty important. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. Verse 3, but you, when you give, give to the, when you give to the poor, do not left, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, 
Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus tells us the truth about false motives. If we do something, even something wonderful, as if for God, but we're really doing it to be noticed for ourselves, the Lord is telling you then, okay, the only reward you're going to get is that very fickle, very temporary attention from those people. But God has nothing for you. But the flip side, he tells us, is amazing. The things we do out of love and, and, and out of obedience to Christ, even the things, even those things that go unnoticed and unappreciated by others, the things we do for the Lord in secret, the Lord does see. And the God who sees everything that we do and why we do it will reward us. And you and I know we don't, we don't serve the Lord to be rewarded. However, here's a fact of the Christian life. You cannot out-love God. It can't be done. God loves to lavish his blessing on us in ways we can never imagine when we serve him wholeheartedly. And as you also know, most of you from first-hand experience, it's very difficult to serve the Lord, almost impossible to serve the Lord in front of people and not be concerned about what people are thinking about you, wondering if they're thinking better of you or worse of you as you do whatever it is you do. So when we're in service to the Lord, we must pray for the Lord to help us keep our eyes on him at all times, even if we're serving in front of one person or in front of many. Our eyes need to be on Jesus. Let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians to verse 5 again, where Paul writes, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. When Paul talks about greed, Paul is not saying that someone in ministry should not get paid for their work. He's not saying that. He's saying that greed, which is the selfish desire for money or power, should never be a motivation for ministry of any kind. At the end of verse 5, did you see who Paul names as his witness? How great is that? He names God as his greatest witness to his pure motives. God's a pretty good witness. What does it mean when God is our witness? It means, when God is our witness, it means we don't try to make excuses for our behavior. And we don't try to cover anything up because we seek God's approval for everything we think, everything we do, and everything we say. We're not seeking the approval of others that we can fake out seeking approval of the God who knows every detail of our lives. When God is our witness, it still hurts when people misjudge us and when people criticize us falsely. It still hurts. You can tell Paul was hurt by the attacks. But when, God, when we know God is pleased with our motives, when we know we're serving him with pure motives, we can find deep peace and joy even in the middle of the storm. However, you and I have a problem. Sin. Sin is always lurking so close by, so even our good, even our best intentions can be corrupted by sin. We need to constantly pray for the Lord to show us where any of our desires are out of line with his. Let's look at verse 6. He says, 
nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though, as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. Do you remember how Paul became an apostle? Right? He met the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. He had a very real, very personal encounter with Jesus himself. Yet Paul never used that unique experience or his unique standing as any way to get personal attention or personal gain. Can you imagine what would happen today if somebody met Jesus face to face, the risen Jesus? Do you think they'd be quiet about it? Or do you think there would be book deals, a movie, and millions upon millions of Instagram followers? How much personal gain would be flowing in? But Paul didn't want any attention for himself. He wanted all eyes on Jesus. So again, a mirror for you and I as we serve the Lord. Are we looking for somebody to notice us? Or do we want to do what we do to keep all eyes on Jesus? You know who I thought about when I came to this passage? I pictured you. I thought about you. And I thought about naming names, but that would take way too long. So you'll just have to know I'm thinking of you. I mean you. When I look at you, I see Jesus at work in your life, and I see Jesus at work through your life. And I can tell you that you've helped me understand things about the Lord that I could not have learned without you. That's true. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I want to encourage you to keep going strong. How did Paul keep his motives pure? How did Paul keep his motives pure? He kept his thoughts pure. He kept his thoughts pure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul writes, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Ah. All day long, all day long, my brothers and sisters, we can have thoughts pop into our head that we don't want. Thoughts that are in rebellion to God. Happens all day long. Out of nowhere, here's this thought pops into your head that's in disobedience to God, in rebellion to God. We need to watch out. We need to have a careful guard. We need to put this under the authority of Jesus. We need to watch for our thoughts that are motivated out of pride or lust or anger or any number of selfish things. We need to place every thought, every thought under the authority of Jesus. So all day long, here's what we need to pray. And I know this because I do pray this all day long. I've lost track of how many times I've had to pray this. And here's the prayer. Lord, what are you thinking about what I'm thinking about right now? Maybe I'm having an issue with someone. I'm sure that never happens to you. Maybe you're having an issue with someone and you're thinking, oh, man, when I see that person, I'm going to, and I want, Lord, what do you think about what I'm thinking about right now? Are my goals your goals? Are my desires your desires? Selfish Thoughts of any kind lead to all kinds of corruption. Any kind of selfish thought leads us to corruption. Having a little bit of selfishness 
is like having a, having a little bit of cancer. We need to get rid of it or it'll spread and take us down. There was a time in my life when I was a little younger. There's a lot of time in my life where I was a little younger. <laughs> I used to think, well, I'm about 95% all in for Lord. I got maybe 5% that I'm kind of saving for me. Would you like to find out you have 5% of your body infested with cancer? Would that be okay with you? Oh, I've only got 5% cancer. That's pretty good. Would you like 1%? Any selfishness of any size, any kind of selfishness is just like cancer. We've got to get rid of it or selfishness will spread and it will take us down. I've seen way too many good brothers and sisters in Christ taken down. Okay, in verse 5 and 6, Paul told us what he did not do. Let's review that real quick. He said, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. Now let's read what Paul did do. Verse 7 and 8. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. I love this. Paul didn't just claim to be gentle. That's easy to do. He proved to be gentle. That's awesome. We need to be doers, not talkers. Don't you get tired of people who just yak, 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 and don't do anything. Paul was a doer. Like Paul, when you and I, when you and I follow the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts or one of the fruits or one of the results of having the Holy Spirit in our life is gentleness. Gentleness is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Gentleness means we are kind. We are tender with others because We want to be just like a mother is tender with her baby. And just like we know, Jesus has been tender with us. Paul understood the power of gentleness. Do you think of gentleness as being powerful? It is. Gentleness is so powerful because people want to be led, but they hate to be pushed. People want to be led, they hate to be pushed. Paul didn't try to cram his authority or even his gospel down anyone's throat. Instead, he came to gently love the Thessalonians right into the kingdom of God. That's what he came to do. Just love them right into the kingdom of God. So the question becomes, how gentle are you? How gentle am I? Just so happens, my favorite author, Dallas Willard, wrote a very simple three-question test to measure our gentleness. Would you like to take that test right now? Of course you would. Here it is, three questions. Let's review them together. By the way, you can answer privately. You don't need to shout anything out. And please don't answer for the person next to you. It's not fair. How often do I assume bad motives in others? Second question I'd really like to skip, but I can't. How do I react when others don't follow my advice? And third, in what areas of my life am I pushing when I ought to be waiting on the Lord? This is another one of those mirrors to look into to see if we have anything in our hearts that doesn't belong here. These are very convicting questions. I had a number of people from the other services express the kick back here they felt (laughs) from the Lord. Let's think about this first question. How often do I assume 
a bad motive in somebody else. Being gentle, being gentle is the opposite of being judgmental. Being gentle is the opposite of being judgmental. If we're gentle, we just don't assume. We know what somebody else is thinking and feeling because we understand only God can look into their heart. Only God can look into their mind. So we come to serve people. We come to love people. Never, ever to judge them. Second question. How do I react when others don't follow my advice? (laughs) Yeah. How do I react when others don't follow my advice? Being gentle is the opposite of being stubborn. Being gentle is the opposite of being stubborn. If we're gentle, if we are really and truly gentle, we're focused on the other person, not on ourselves. So we're not bothered if they don't take our brilliant advice. And what's more than that? We are so convinced that God is in charge and God is sovereign that God can somehow manage to accomplish his perfect will even if that other person doesn't take our awesome advice. We're okay with it. Third question. In what areas of my life am I pushing when I ought to just be waiting on the Lord? Being gentle is the opposite of being impatient. Being gentle is the opposite of being impatient. If we're gentle, if we're gentle, we believe so much more in the power of prayer than we believe in the power of pushing our agenda, whatever that might be. Because we've learned, this doesn't come natural for us, we have to learn it, but we've learned to trust in God's timing more than our own. Paul was willing to sacrifice his popularity, his comfort, his safety, his income, even his life for his spiritual children, just like a mother would sacrifice anything for her child. And just like our Lord Jesus did sacrifice everything, everything for you and me. So the question is, what are you and I willing to sacrifice to see somebody else come to Christ? What are you willing to sacrifice to see somebody come to Christ? Might you be willing to sacrifice a couple of hours? Would that be worth it? A couple hour trade, a couple of hours in exchange for somebody to come to know Christ? As Michael told you, coming up on May 18th, we're going to have a class to help us all learn how to better, more effectively, comfortably share our faith. In preparation for that class, let's see what we can learn from Paul about how to share the gospel with someone else. Paul in verse 8 writes, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Paul's approach to sharing the gospel is personal. We have to make it personal. He told the Thessalonians how his own life was saved by Jesus. About 1,900 years after Paul wrote this, a pastor named D.T. Niles wrote this. You might have seen this uh, quote before, but D.T. Niles wrote, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. It's really that simple. It's really that simple. Sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel means we just share with other people how Jesus saved our own life. Let's read what Paul wrote to Timothy a few years after he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul wrote, it's a trust, trustworthy statement deserving 
full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom? I am foremost of all. Wow. Wow. How would your life change? How would my life change if we never forgot this statement that you and I are foremost sinners of all and that Jesus came to save us? How would that change our lives? What if we always kept in mind the grace that God has given us and how undeserving we were and yet what God has done in our life? What if we always kept that in our mind? Do you think we'd be gentler with people? Do you think we'd be more patient, more understanding, more kind? Would we be more effective? In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he wrote this in 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. He wrote, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by the devil to do his will. These are not guidelines for us to follow. These aren't even suggestions. They're commands. This is a command in the word of God, what we must do. Are you and I kind to all? Do you know what it means to be kind to all? It means to be kind, gentle, and patient with those who least deserve it. Why should we be kind, gentle to those who least deserve it? Because God has been so patient with me and so patient with you who least deserve it. Are we able to teach? Being able to teach doesn't mean you have to get up and do a lesson and blah, 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 have a two or three point outline. Being able to teach just means in your own words, if you stumble, if you bumble, if you mumble, even like a don't be, whatever you do, you can just tell somebody else how Jesus has changed your life, why you believe in Christ. That's what it means. Are you able to do that? Are we patient? Are we patient when somebody does us wrong? I want to get even, or are we just patient? Lord, you, you've got this. Are we gentle? Are we gentle when somebody dares to disagree with us? Are we gentle? The word of God doesn't tell us to avoid confrontations. It says if a confrontation happens, be gentle, be patient. And do we understand from Paul, do we understand from the word of God that it's God's job to convict people's hearts? It's not ours. Sometimes we get that wrong. We get all frustrated when we do what we do for the Lord and nothing grand happens. It's God's job to control the outcome. It's your job and my job to serve people with gentleness and love. Let's close by looking at verse 8 back in 1 Thessalonians 2 one more time because this is a glorious way to end. Paul writes, Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God but also our own lives because you have become very dear to us. Our motive, our reasons for serving the Lord however we serve the Lord is all about joy. Our motive for serving the Lord is all about joy. It's about being well-pleased. Do you know what well-pleased means? Really happy. means being really happy to share whatever we've learned about Christ and to share our lives with others. That's what it means. As the saying goes, you've probably heard this saying, people, people really don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So we see here what it means to be a servant of Christ. To be a servant of Christ means we are gladly, we are gladly self-sacrificing. 
Are you and I gladly self-sacrificing? Is that where our joy comes from? So this is our mirror. Hope it wasn't too painful (laughs) to look into it. But maybe the Lord showed you a few things. Maybe one thing. Again, you can't answer for the person next to you. Just maybe the Lord showed you. I can promise you, whatever the Lord showed you that was, you needed to fix, my list is longer than yours. I can promise you that. Russ is going to come lead us in communion, and then our prayer team is going to be right over here to pray with you at the end of the service. But please allow me just to close this portion in prayer. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for telling us who you are. And thank you for showing us who we are. Please show us, Father, any place where our hearts are out of line with yours. Father, show us any place where we might be a little bit selfish. And instead of being self, selfless, instead of being gladly self-sacrificing, Lord, we're being selfish. Please help us. Please give us the ability, Father, your power, through your Holy Spirit, to clean up anything inside us that doesn't honor you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.